to see you. And I don't know, I feel like I've been introduced enough. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, um, I'm, I'm just glad you're here. Um, I've said this a few times, but it just bears repeating. The Lord's Prayer is uh, the school of prayer for us as Christians. And it's really uh, as important as thinking about the prayer, uh, connecting it to other parts of Scripture, to actually use the prayer <laughs> uh, to uh, start taking these petitions and expanding them in the course of the the day as you pray, whenever you might pray, is to begin to weave them in to the mix of things that you do. So I'm going to read from uh, Matthew 4:11, and we're looking at uh, the sixth petition, uh, lead us not into temptation uh, tonight. Let's pray. Gracious Father, uh, be pleased to open our hearts, our ears, our minds, uh, to what uh, the Lord Jesus would say to us today. Uh, quicken us that we'd be responsive uh, to it, that uh, even as your first uh, followers ask you to be taught to pray, that you would teach us uh, more tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Matthew 4, 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Begone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and we're ministering to him. Well, in January of 2005, Shane Maxner, at the age of 27, along with four of his uh, friends, drove out to the Canyon Ski Resort uh, outside of Park City, Utah, uh, rode the ski lift up uh, to the backcountry uh, gate outside the Dutch Straw area. And uh, even though there were warnings, uh, notwithstanding, they, they snowboarded. On the second trip down, someone in the party shot an avalanche, uh, but Shane couldn't escape. It was two days later that they dug his body out of the snow. Now the press ran wild with this story about uh, the foolishness of uh, these young men, about how they were reckless, uh, out-of-bound uh, riders, seemingly unaware of the possible dangers, but that in fact was not true. Maxner and two others in his uh, party were 
avalanche certified backcountry uh, guides. Uh, the men owned special avalanche uh, gear, but they didn't bring it with them that day. Uh, this really isn't an unusual occurrence. In fact, skiers with the most avalanche training are the most likely to be seduced into faulty thinking as they look out and see others have been on the slopes, as well as just the enthusiasm of the group they're in. Maxiner didn't die because he was a fool. Uh, he died because he was lulled into letting his guard down. Letting our guard down is not something that just happens uh, to people skiing uh, in dangerous uh, conditions. It happens a lot and it happens to us as well. We think, well, I've got this. I won't be tempted. Uh, that uh, can't happen to me. I can handle uh, this. Um, there was a study done in 2011 of temptations and uh, ranking them for Americans in from top to bottom. The most common was worrying and being anxious. The next was procrastinating or putting things off, then eating too much, being lazy, spending more money than you could afford, gossiping about others, being jealous and envious of others. And last of all, and I don't really know how true these uh, percentages are, but uh, pornography and substance abuse. Most of the seven deadly sins uh, made the list. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. Now, wouldn't it be great to be so connected, to be so grounded spiritually that when temptation came, that you would be able to stand up against it? Well, there's a lot we don't know about temptation, and since we've been working through the prayer backwards, I'll say this. The devil, the world, as well as our own internal desires are all involved in our temptations. Exactly how much, who's responsible for what percentage, we can't say, and it's probably best not even try to sort that out, not to speculate about that. The Bible doesn't answer all the questions might we might have about it. But we, what we all do know is that we are all vulnerable. Every day, we're vulnerable. One way or another, temptations come to us every day. And every time we surrender to a temptation, we bring harm to ourselves, to people we love, and to our witness uh, to the gospel. Wouldn't it be great that in the heat of the moment, that when temptation comes, that we could successfully resist it. Well, Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer in this petition, lead us not into temptation, so we could be that kind of person. We're in a battle. We looked at that uh, for a couple of Sundays now. And this petition, lead us not into temptation, well, if you think about it, it, it might strike you as strange. You know the way sometimes words start to strike you as really funny when you focus on them, the spelling, the sound of the word, you think, this is really odd. Well, this sounds in a lot of ways really odd to us. Does this mean God takes us places in life uh, so that we'll be tempted? Does God himself tempt us? Well, James is very clear about this, uh, that God is not tempted by evil. He doesn't tempt us. There's there's nothing dark in God. He hates evil. He despises sin. 
this petition only makes sense when you consider the story of Jesus. And if you think about his story, it, it begins to make a whole lot more sense. Now, Matthew tells us that right after Jesus is baptized and the spirit uh, comes down in the form of the dove, and God the Father says, uh, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. The Father is affirming uh, Jesus' messianic calling. It's in that very moment, right after that, that the Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You get that? The Spirit comes, and Jesus is led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted. And after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Don't you love that understatement? He was hungry. <laughs> and um, it's important to know, really, the story of the Old Testament to appreciate uh, what, what Matthew's telling us here and what's happening in Jesus' uh, life. And, of course, Matthew's gospel is written for the Jews, and the Jewish audience would have immediately recognized these uh, connections. So Jesus' story parallels the story of Adam and Eve. As soon as Adam and Eve were blessed by God, as Jesus was blessed by God at his baptism, uh, they are tempted by the serpent, by Satan. And elsewhere, we're told in the New Testament, Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus succeeds where Adam fails. There's another parallel between this story and one of the stories in the Old Testament. It's a story that takes place in the wilderness as the children of Israel are traveling from Egypt to the promised land. As you probably know, the children of Israel not, were not responsive uh, to God's leading. They didn't trust him. They were filled with grumbling, complaining, and unbelief. And so God disciplines them with 40 years in the wilderness. Israel rebels, and so there is this corrective act of God, 40 years in the wilderness. And Jesus is uh, living out, reliving Israel's history. One day in the wilderness for each year that Israel spends there. And Jesus reenacts that uh, period of time of temptation, but Jesus doesn't fail in those sense. Jesus uh, wins in every temptation. And so what Jesus is doing after his baptism is he is fulfilling or undoing what both Adam and Eve and Israel did in their times of temptation. And at the end of these 40 days, Jesus is in the wilderness. Satan comes to him, and Jesus is hungry, and he's alone. In other words, he's physically weak, and he's vulnerable. And isn't that true for us? When we're tired, when we're hungry, when we're alone, or when all three of those things are true, we often uh, are more tempted. It might be uh, a minor temptation, like being irritable, or it could be uh, to something greater. And Satan tries Jesus with three different temptations. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with eating. God has made us <laughs> so that we need to eat. And I think Mark observed a few weeks ago that God didn't have to make food pleasurable. He didn't have to make the world uh, full of colors. 
could have all been just shades of gray and we could navigate through it, but he's just chosen to do these amazing, amazing, wonderful things. But that's not what God had in mind for Jesus at that moment. Jesus was fasting to focus on his relationship with God. And so fasting throughout the Old Testament and the New, and in the history of the church has been understood not as a way to earn points with God, but as a way to pull back from something uh, in order to concentrate on your relationship with God. It's not a way to bargain with God. It's not a way to say, God, I really mean this as I come to you in prayer about this matter. That's why I'm fasting, expecting you to take notice of this. Now it's a matter of, I need to focus and being abstaining from food, perhaps abstaining uh, from something else uh, is a way of focusing our attention, letting that absence of something remind us of our seeking after God. Satan tempts Jesus uh, along these same lines. Uh, that, excuse me, Satan tempts us along these same lines that he tempts Jesus. We are tempted to have things we're not meant to have. It could be food. It could be too much food, the wrong kind of food. It could be almost anything. Nicer clothes, a newer car, uh, cooler toys. Of course, grown boys have bigger toys. Uh, <laughs> It could be that new uh, electronic gadget. And there's nothing wrong with any of those. Uh, but what they can do is they can keep us focused on ourselves uh, to the neglect of other people, uh, to the misalignment of our priorities. And if they're unattainable, if we can't have that thing that we want, well, they can awaken within us envy and discontentment. Are you tempted to have something that you're not supposed to have. Satan's second temptation of Jesus is in verses 5 and 6. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan is tempting Jesus to do something he's not supposed to do. In, or, in other words, to test God, to force God's hand, seemingly by testing his promise. And let's just leave aside for a moment that Satan is twisting scripture here. He's tempting Jesus to do something he's not supposed to do. And we ourselves experience similar temptation. Sometimes to give ourselves over to some thought or some word or some course of action that's unloving. Maybe it's to abuse our bodies. Maybe it's to fail to do something. Maybe it's to be passive uh, or lazy when actually there's something that we should be doing, something we should engage with, something that in fact, uh, it's important that we deal with it now. The third temptation is in verses eight and nine. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. He's tempting Jesus to be someone he's not meant to be. He does, he does this with us too. Now, some of us are more tempted by the idea of, well, being popular Maybe none of us are aiming at fame at this point. 
be powerful, successful, maybe married and comfortable. But if you don't identify with any of those, I can assure you there are some things that tempt, that tempt you. It could be that you want to be accepted. You want to be respected. Uh, you, you want to be admired. You want to be appreciated. Uh, some people want to be needed. They want other people to be dependent on them. Um, and the problem with all of these things and wanting to be these things is it keeps us from being who we actually are. We are the children of God. Our identity, our fundamental identity, the most basic thing about us is, is that uh, you and I are sons or daughters of God. And when we try to find our identity in something else, our primary identity becomes something else. Well, then we cease to be about who we are actually. So, of course, God's plan may include some of these things, but our temptation is to strive for them in a way that leaves God's out. Now, we all face these same temptations, and it's this. It's to go our own way instead of God's way. It's a temptation that we encounter in small ways every day, throughout the day, whether we're conscious of it or not. And Jesus met all these temptations and overcame them. Now, it's really important for me to emphasize this. I'm going to use the word real again. These temptations were real for Jesus. There's been a lot of speculation, a lot of ink spilled about why or how somehow we should think that this wasn't true. But Jesus didn't have a superpower. He didn't have uh, blue leotards and a cape. He was really, truly one of us. The writer to the Hebrews puts it this way in chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is able to help us because, in fact, he has been tempted even as we are. Well, how did he face all his temptations? And I would, I would suggest to you because he was sinless, his temptations came with greater force than ours do. You and I experience something of it when we try to push a temptation off experience the temptation coming with uh, greater effort. Well, the way that Jesus was able to do this was is that he had trained to face temptation. He had developed through long training a set of responses. He had a weekly rhythm uh, to his life. Uh, he worked. Most of his life he worked as a carpenter, and then he had a day a Sabbath day, a day where he worshiped and he rested. He engaged in prayer and fasting. If you look through the Gospels, you can see all of these. We don't have them in a list in one place, but the shape of his life begins to be, become clear. He had times of solitude and silence to commune with the Father. He lived a life of service, of gratitude and obedience in small things. He meditated on the scriptures and he trained his thoughts about who God was and his purposes. And we should not expect to be strong and grounded unless we also train. Our, 
spiritual forefathers called this a rule of life. Now, our, we might think of that as being something associated with monastic movement, but in fact, the, the Puritans, the English Puritans, uh, wrote books about the rule of life uh, for Christians, and those uh, folks, some of whom uh, you're the descendants of who came here in colonial America, carried uh, these books like the Christian's Daily Walk uh, by Scooter, uh, and there are numerous of these books. There's hundreds of them, uh, and they describe in great detail how to walk with God every part of the day. And they're describing really this same thing about these uh, practices that we have to be trained in. Well, the Lord's Prayer is one of those crucial practices for us. If we want to resist temptation, we need to pray this prayer. And of course, this particular uh, petition, lead us not into temptation. As we do that, we'll begin to develop what the Bible calls being alert. Jesus was spiritually alert. To be alert is to be aware of your surroundings. It's to be cognizant of what's happening. It's to be situationally aware, you might say. Um, and prayer is, well, it's like the difference in looking out at the night sky today, the clear sky. There's so much light, you know, uh, and here in the Washington area, you can hardly see the stars. You can hardly uh, be alert to their beauty and the majesty. Uh, I don't think you can see the Milky Way with your naked eye, but with a telescope, you can, of course, see the Milky Way as it gathers the light, and prayer does that for us. It, it gathers the light so that we're aware of what's going on around us. It enables us to see temptations for what they are. And so it is, we have to pray, lead us not into temptation. And when you understand Jesus' story, you understand from the beginning of his public ministry all the way through the garden in Gethsemane as he neared the cross, that Satan the tempter is pressing him and enticing him, seeking to keep him uh, from dying the death necessary to be our Redeemer. These experiences of fasting in the wilderness, uh, they are preparation for his public ministry uh, the self and his self-sacrifice on the cross. Trials and temptations came together in Jesus' life, and they do in ours as well. The Greek word for trial is the same word that can be translated for temptation. And I know a number of you were reading the book of uh, James uh, last year, and James, as he opens his letter, speaks of both of these things and the relationship to one another. In chapter one, in verses two to five, he writes, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. God sends various kinds of trials to grow us up, to mature us, to build into us qualities that can't grow in any other way. And it's in the course of these trials that we experience various kinds of temptations. The evil one seeks to undermine us. He seeks to undermine God's purpose in these trials, which is to make us strong and mature. So when God 
orders in your life a difficult boss or a teacher that isn't sensitive to you, a friend who hurts you, a spouse who's busy and neglectful, a car that's in constant need of repair, or even a, a parent that's harsh and critical who never uh, police their child. God's at work to something. He's at work to shape us uh, in a deeper way spiritually to make us uh, mature. James goes on and he writes in chapter 1, verse 13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God can't be tempted with evil, but he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Temptation has its power, and its power resides in the fact that we have a sin nature, or to use the old, older language of our spiritual fathers, the remnants of sin. And when we're united by faith to Christ, the gospel tells us uh, that our sin nature has been uh, crucified, and we no longer have to sin. Sin doesn't have dominion over us, but sin is still present in us, and it's because of the presence of sin that temptation has a hook in us. Uh, our uh, hearts answer to temptation's call. And so when we pray this prayer, we're asking for God. When we say, don't lead us, we're saying, don't lead us where we'll experience temptation. And when we're tempted, deliver us out of it. So when you pray this prayer, what we're doing is we're actually praying that God will answer with the resources we need. Um, we still have to fight and stand. As James says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee uh, from you. But we're given uh, resources uh, to stand. As uh, I read from uh, Hebrews 4 uh, earlier, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And you receive greater insight to what's actually taking place when you're tempted. We often think of temptation as some surface issue, but actually beneath it, there's something deeper. There is always a sin below the sin. And the sin that's underneath every temptation, when we yield to it, is our desire to be godlike. It's to have God's power, God's authority, God's control. And that temptation to want to be gods is actually part of what happened in the Garden of Eden. And uh, it's a temptation that's fundamentally uh, underneath every sin that we have. Well, I can't work that out tonight, but I want to close with this last uh, uh, verse from 1 Corinthians 10. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way to escape, that you may be able to endure it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rick. Thank you for that excellent analysis of uh, Lead Us Not Into Temptation. 